Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters. That's the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. I'm Bruce Johnson, joined, of course, by my brother, Jacob Johnson. Hello, everybody. And today we are continuing, and not just continuing, but also concluding our study through David Chilton's Paradise Restored, uh, a biblical theology of dominion. This is a, it's been awesome. We have thoroughly enjoyed going through this book and we're really sad to see it be over, of course, but uh, we're excited to kick off, you know what, I will announce it at the end of this episode. We're going to be kicking off our new book maybe next week. Suspense. Yes, suspense will be there through the whole episode. Um, So, but yes, this is chapter 24. David Chilton's book, Paradise Restored, we have covered, oh my goodness, so much already. Um, And in case this is your first episode hearing about this book, your first episode joining us as we've been studying this, we have studied how to read prophecy. We've studied Israel's current place in the covenant history of God. We have studied uh, what it means to take dominion. We've studied what it means for the kingdom of God to grow across the entire earth. It doesn't just mean hint. It doesn't just mean collecting a few souls. It means making every part of life discipled for Christ, which means every part of every nation will be discipled for Christ before he returns. Um, And we've also discussed time frames. We've discussed all sorts of different mysteries in the book of Revelation. We've discussed uh, allegories, allusions to things that uh, were throughout the rest of the Bible that um, maybe you've overlooked. And certainly most premillennialists have overlooked, which is how we ended up with that kind of theology. And so uh, now we conclude our study with some vigorous words uh, and a massive call to action. And some very practical steps and some practical encouragement and biblical encouragement um, to that end. So I am super excited. This is going to be one heck of an episode. Uh, But before we get into all that, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week. Wednesday means Jake does that. And uh, Jake, you actually picked out this verse this week. And it's a doozy. So take it away. I have it. I have a decent amount, a decent amount that I would like to say about this, but I don't want to take too much time, so I will try and keep it brief. But I do think it's very, very interesting, also given the book that we're reading. Uh, but I will get into that as to how it relates. But the verse this week is Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 2, and it says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and you have driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. So that is that is our verse. And again, that is Jeremiah 23 verses 1 through 2. And Given this verse, I, I think um, we heard this also on Monday, but given this verse, it, it would seem it was a little bit gloomy, which does not fit with God's overall victory narrative. How how can we ever hope to have victory if our pastors are, are as God says, um, scattering the sheep? 
Uh, mm. And you know how how are we how are we how are we supposed to have victory? So, like all seemingly pessimistic passages, they are actually optimistic when given context. Jeremiah, and, and this is how I give it context. Jeremiah twenty three verses three through four says. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them, and I will bring them back into uh, to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, or, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Hmm. And that those are the two verses directly after what would seemingly be gloomy passages. God has a plan, and that plan is to bring the earth into subjugation to his laws. And preachers are the focal point of that. And that is why he has set good preachers over his flocks. And those good preachers will, and sorry, and those good preachers will create a fruitful uh, sheep. So, and all of these pastors and these good pastors are f this, this promise of good pastors is fulfilled and will be fulfilled. I think that's a very crucial part in, in saying that Christ fulfilled this type of promise when he died on the cross and bringing in these good pastors. But we can't say that all pastors are good. We, Bruce and I have attested many times to the fact that our pastors are not great today, but that is why that this promise is being fulfilled. So ha it has been fulfilled, but it is also being fulfilled. And notice also, I think with this verse is very telling, is that a sign of good people is their fruitfulness and numbers. A good pastor will lead their people to work as unto God fruitfully, and that will cause them to grow and strengthen in numbers. We can see multiple practical examples of that today. Um, so I think that's very interesting and important. So, And I will end there, so not to take as much more time, but that every verse that seemingly seems, sorry, seemingly seems, yes, that's a phrase now, um, to be pessimistic is optimistic when given the context. Yeah, that's a great observation. Very cool. Thank you, Jacob. Um, so this uh, this was a little tricky for us to split this chapter up. Um, going through chapter 24 in Chilton's book, just because up until now we've been tackling two to three chapters a week, and we don't know how to share. So anywho, we figured that out this week. So yay, <laughs> we know how to share now, guys. Um, we split the chapter in half. So Jake <laughs> took the first half of the chapter and I actually took the last half of the chapter. And, um, so we're kind of going to just go in that order and work and it's our way. it's not because this. I read it first and picked up the quotes first and told him no touchy. <laughs> That's right. No touchy. Uh, right. Yeah. We just did an eeny meeny and, uh, that's what he ended up with. So, um, but yeah, this, this chapter, chapter 24, is called Fulfilling the Great Commission. And while it feels a smidge meandery a little bit, I, Jake and I were talking about this in the pre-show. It's actually a really good way to sum up everything we talked about 
throughout the, this whole book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it starts out talking about the kingdom, then it moves into the church, then it moves into this, then it goes back to the kingdom, then it goes to prophecy, then it moves into, right? So there's a lot of different parts and moving parts to it, but it flows from one to the other really well, I think. And and if you if you haven't had a chance to read this book yet, which hopefully you have, you know, we always encourage um, you to to read with us as we're going through. That's why we launch the calendar every every month, so you can have a chance to get caught up on the chapters and know what's coming your way. Uh, but if you haven't had a chance and you just got the book, let's say you know mail was backed up for whatever reason and your book finally just came in, read this. Dog eat your homework. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there it is. There it is. You, you, you done goofed up. But this, but now you have the book. This is the chapter to read. Chapter 24 sums everything up and it's really good. All right, Jake, take it away. What is happening at the, at the beginning of chapter 24? I, when I first started reading this, I just had to read the first quote to Bruce. And this is the very beginning of the chapter. I think that that very in in all their time, like reading through books and picking out quotes and trying to you know show them and what what the quote sorry what the chapter is talking about and stuff like that, always the very first uh, sentence normally gives you the entire context for the entire chapter, which that's what it's intended for. That's what it does. So I think this is a great uh, way to start out the book. And it doesn't summarize everything, but it definitely gives us a good insight as to at least half, the first half of this chapter. Uh, But without my uh, ramblings, I shall start with the very first uh, quote here. And that is on page 203. And Chilton says, The Great Commission to the Church does not end with simply witnessing to the nations. Christ's command is that we disciple the nations and all the nations. So I thought that was very good, especially given that last little bit, that it's all of the nations. And we've talked about multiple times on the show about discipling and how it's different from witnessing. Going out and witnessing is bringing people into the fold, into this flock, as we talked about in Jeremiah. But discipling is keeping them in the flock and growing that flock, multiplying them in number and strength in mind and thought, that we grow and our understanding grows with that. I'll continue on, and I might be seemingly going very quickly with this, um, but I know Bruce has a lot of uh, quotes that he would like to bring up, so I will just continue moving on. Um, there's a second quote again on page 203, and this is, um, Chilton, uh, discussing what Paul is saying in Corinthians. Uh, and this is very, 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 very interesting. And and you don't think of this verse in this way, or, or you would, um, I just think it's very interesting for him to bring this up. Um, again, on page 203, Chilton says in his second letter to the church of Corinth, St. Paul outlined a strategy for worldwide domination. And then he quotes uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. And, and that says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty in God for the destruction of fortresses. 
We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and we are ready to punish all disobedience once your obedience is complete. And this is very, very interesting. I think what we need to understand in this is this is talking to the church. Uh, Chilton brings this up later about the church. And actually, I'll, I'll go straight into that. Uh, this next quote, which is talking about this being to the church. Uh, Chilton says on page 204, says, With these weapons at our disposal, we are able to destroy everything the enemy raises up in opposition to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Christ is to be acknowledged as Lord everywhere in every sphere, sphere, sorry, sphere of human activity. And I'll continue again on page 204, but it is important to note the order here. Paul does not begin his work of reconstruction by f- fomenting, um, sorry, fomenting a social revolution. Nor does he begin by seeking political office. He begins with the church and will move out to bring the rest of the world under Christ's dominion once the church's obedience is complete. So that very last line of that verse saying, once your obedience is complete. The first thing, and we've talked about this several times before, it starts with your your personal putting off of sin and you continuing a walk with God that will cause the next thing, a, a, a domino effect, if you will, into the next thing, which would be the family, and then from the family into the church, and then from the church into the political sphere. And this is a domino effect. It starts with the individual and moves on through. And yep. that the church, in order for there to be a political or a social, a culture as a whole, for that to be different and change, it must start with the church. The church's obedience comes first, uh, which is very, very uh, good and interesting uh, and something Bruce and I have brought up several times before on the show. Uh, to continue, um, I'm into my last three <laughs> quotes here, and I'll try and get through them quickly. Uh, on page 205, Chilton says, The essence of biblical religion is the worship of God. And by worship, I do not only mean listening to sermons, even though preaching is certainly necessary and important, I mean organized congregational prayers, praise, and sacramental celebration. Very good to to mention that. I think we've, in uh, Mother Kirk, we talked about liturgy and how that the worship service is to be organized in a certain way, and that you have a sense of order and a sense of reverence to this day of worship, to this worship that we're giving to God. This is not just, uh, I think Bruce mentioned he was in a, um, this one Baptist church uh, where literally the, the, I don't know, youth pastor, it sounds like a youth pastor, walks down with the microphone and is like, and hands the microphone to, to one of the audience, to one of the, um, I say audience and almost as if that is an audience at that, at that point. point. Yeah. yeah. And hands it to one of the congregation and, and asks, so how has God affected you today? And it's like, it's all this like 
this stuff. Yeah. No, this is not giving reference to God. This is making fun of him, really. This is a an in reference to his holy worship. I digress. Yeah, because um, to flesh that out, it becomes all about that person, right? It became yes. all about they're putting on yeah. the this emotional show, and then when it went to the next person, they were one upping them. Oh, they cried seven tears. I'm going to cry 20 tears. Oh, they cried 20 yeah. tears. I'm going to cry 30 tears. And I won't even make it through the first word. Like, it was just clearly a one-upmanship. And that's because yeah. they went outside of what scripture dictates mm -hmm. for yeah. worship. Yeah. Yeah. So, to continue, uh, again on page 205, uh, Chilton is uh, bringing up revelations again. Uh, like he did in, in passages before. But Chilton says, throughout the book, we see a repeated pattern. First, the angels lead the saints in organized worship. Second, God responds to his people's worship by bringing judgment unto salvation. So he, he gives an example of the fact that um, and I'll, I'll read this. For example, John shows us the martyrs gathered at the incense altar, beseeching God to avenge them on their persecutors. Shortly thereafter, an angel, angel formally offers up their prayers to God and then takes coals from the altar and throws them to the earth. So our cries from, from our worship are seen and heard by God and they are acted upon, whether it be for good or for bad. So, yeah. last, my very last one. So, hopefully, there's enough time for you there, Bruce. My very last one, again, on page 205, but also it partly goes over into page 206. Um, and this is the very last sentence of page 205. Um, Children says, are very proud. Our primary response to persecution and oppression must not be political. That is to put our trust in the state. The cri the cri sorry, the church's primary response to persecution must be liturgical. We must pray about it personally in families and in organized corporate worship of the church, whose officers are divinely empowered to bring judgment. So that is referring back to that what I what we were just reading, the fact that these officers of the church are divinely empowered to bring judgment. The church is bringing judgment on the earth and those who do not follow Christ. So we take the the positions and offices in the church seriously. These are divinely empowered. So and with that said, uh, we'll yeah. move over to Bruce. Yeah, and he continues that train of thought. He continues to to discuss imprecatory prayers where you're you're calling judgment, right? David did that tons of times. We've seen that all throughout the Bible. Prophets did that loads of times, right? And that's that's where he continues. He gives some very real and practical examples of that as well. So uh, check that out on pages 206 and 207. So... Uh, but I won't be spending much time on that. What I want to move to, since we're um, short on time, is is kind of the the punch, the power, the the brunt of the book as a whole, um, summed up by this chapter. So, page two hundred seven, he said, "Quote: The church's worship is not primarily negative, 
but, uh, but positive. We are to offer up petitions for the conversion of the world. We must ask God to cause all nations to flow into his temple, praying that his holy mountain will grow and fill the earth more and more, and that our age will see increasing triumphs for the glory in, uh, for the gospel in every area of life. There is no reason not to expect victory. He goes a little further. He says, the gates of hell must and shall fall before the aggressive militant church, Matthew 16, 18. Which is more powerful, human depravity or God's sovereignty? Can God convert the world? Of course. More than that, he has promised that he will convert the world. Then he goes and talks about um, a passage that is taken out of context so frequently uh, and misunderstood. And it's funny because it's probably one of the most popular, most well-known passages in the Bible. Everybody knows this passage, right? It's a cliche verse, if you will. No verse is cliche, but that's kind of what people have made it, right, in their minds. Um, but John three sixteen through 17, quote, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him should be saved. That the world should be saved. Here is one of the most oft-quoted passages of all the Bible. And so uh, we often miss the point. Uh, Jesus Christ came to save the world, not just a sinner here and a sinner there. He wants us to disciple the nations, not just a few individuals, end quote. And this is a really important point to make, right? It's the whole created world that is being saved. It's the whole created universe, this physical world, spiritual world, all of it, that Christ died to save. He didn't come to condemn the world, but that this world, this created order, this created world, through him, would be saved, would be restored, right? Um, page 208, he continues, he says, quote, we must stop acting as if we are forever destined to be a subculture. That's us as Christians. We are destined for dominion. We should straighten up and start acting like it. Our life and worship should reflect our expectation of dominion and our increasing capacity for responsibility. It is the devil who is on the run. It is paganism which is doomed to extinction. End quote. Um, so th again, this is just packing a punch. There's so much here and I don't have time to go into all of it. But this is our common theme. This has been our common theme on the show for, you know, almost since the beginning. Um, and then we started reading. We've we've been reading all of these, you know, all of these books about the hope of the future, about a positive view of the future, about the kingdom of God and our responsibility to get to work. Um, there's so many books. You'll see a lot of them behind me on the shelf here. You'll see a lot on Jake's shelf. Um so many great authors have written about this over the years, over the centuries, over the millennia, talking about the kingdom of God, talking about getting to work, talking about a positive view of the future. And Chilton is just the latest in a long line of those to discuss, discuss those things. If you are uh, interested in hearing about maybe some more of those books or 
other authors or anything like that, if you're looking to delve into this further, which we always encourage you to do, send us an email, trdshow at protonmail.com, and we'd love to send some resources your way, recommend some some of our favorite books, recommend some of our favorite authors. Uh, we've, we've, uh, we've got a bit of a library going, so let us know. <laughs> um, but he moved on on page 208 to talk about what he calls the theocratic mandate. And this whole concept of the theocratic mandate, we actually discussed in uh, Gary DeMar's book when we went through God and Government, all three volumes. I think we only went through two volumes, but the third volume is really good too. Maybe in the future we'll go through that one. But the, the whole premise of those books was that there are three or, or four governments that God has ordained, God has created, that are good. So there's self, there's family, church, and there's civil government. So there's four, right? And you, you, all of those are created for good, to do good things, right? They're not evil. Not one of them is, is evil and inherently bad, right? All created by God. But because they're all created by God, they're specifically created to work in the way that God created them to work. They are given laws. They're given ways to structure themselves. So as an individual, you are given laws that God expects you to follow, to structure your life, what you think about, how you talk to others, how you do your job, the businesses you build, the businesses you buy from, how you interact with your family members. And that's just one government, right? But it's every part of your life as an individual that God speak, the Bible speaks to every area of life. Then we have the family, same deal, church, same deal, civil government. Why should it be any different? And that's his point with this theocratic mandate. Why the heck would we say, nah, it's good to do whatever the heck it wants? Nope, it's not. Just like we aren't good to do whatever the heck we want. We, if left to our own devices, tend towards sin. Dramatically towards sin. We are cosmically committing treason against God every second apart from Christ. Civil yeah. government is the same way. And, so and, that's and we see this... We see that practically within our own day, you know, the, yeah. the, the church has yep. said and had that theology that we don't have to get involved in government. And we see exactly where that leads. We, yep. we wonder yep. why our government is so out of control. Yeah, that's why we let it get that way. We said, yeah. yeah, do whatever you want, even though it is supposed to be a minister of God for your good. That's what Paul says, right? So many people focus in Romans 13 and they're like, oh, it means do whatever the civil government tells you. No, actually, it's calling the civil government to obey God. Actually, it's saying no, a biblical civil government, a, a, a civil government that actually has authority is one that follows the Bible. Apart from that, they do not have authority. So anyways. He says on page 208, quote, Our goal is a Christian world made up of explicitly Christian nations. How could a Christian nation, I'm sorry, how could a Christian desire anything else? Our Lord himself taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Matthew 6.10. We pray that God's orders will be obeyed on earth just as they are immediately obeyed by the angels and saints in heaven. End quote. Page 209, he says, God specifically forbids pluralism. God is not the least bit interested in sharing world dominion with Satan. God wants us to honor him individually, 
in our families, in our churches, in our businesses, in our cultural pursuits of every kind, and in our statutes and judgments. That's the civil realm. All right, let's wrap this up. Page 210, some rapid fire quotes. Here we go. To the Satanist, time is the great curse. As Satan progresses, I'm sorry, as history progresses, the forces of evil sense that their time is running out. Revelation 12, 12. But the Christian does not have to be afraid of the passage of time because time is mm. on our side. Every day brings us closer to the realization of the knowledge of God covering the entire world. The earth will be changed, restored to Edenic, that's Eden, right? Edenic conditions. And people will be blessed with long and happy lives. So long, in fact, that it will be unusual for someone to die at the young age of 100. Isaiah 65, verse 20. to 11. I'm not interested. This is Chilton. I am not interested in setting dates. I'm not going to try to figure out this, the date of the second coming. The Bible does not reveal it, and it's none of our business. What the Bible does reveal is our responsibility to work for God's kingdom. Our duty to bring ourselves, our families, and all our spheres of influence under the, under the dominion of Jesus Christ. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of his law. Deuteronomy 29, 29. And finally, last quote in this chapter. Last sentence on page 211 sums this up so well. He says, quote, Time is on our side. <clears throat> the kingdom has come, and the world has begun again. Now, get to work. Hmm. And... I just thought that was tremendous. So <clears throat> this has been our study through Paradise Restored by David Chilton, a biblical theology of dominion and the eschatology of victory. Uh, Jake, any quick 10 second thoughts before we wrap it up? Isn't it interesting? He kind of ended that the way uh, the Great Commission was, which was his very yeah. start in in the beginning of the chapter. Yeah, I said, go yeah. therefore, get to work. Yep. Yep, and we're therefore going under the power of Christ who has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's how we can go because he's always with us to the end of the age and he has all authority over everything. And that's how we can go and make disciples of all nations. So let's do that. Let's get to work. Um, thank you for listening or watching. Don't forget, we'll be back next week. Uh, hopefully current events again, we'll be releasing our calendar shortly. So stay tuned for that. If you're not following us on Facebook or Instagram, you can do that at TRD show. Um, we're also on Gab. That's uh, at TRD show on Gab and Getter. And we are real TRD show on X. So follow us there and uh, you can go to trdshow.net if you want links to all those platforms. Thanks again. We're looking forward to seeing you. Oh, I almost forgot. Hi, I almost <laughs> I got to announce the next book. <laughs> Here we go. The book, drum roll, please. The book of December. Yeah, there it is. Thanks, Jake. Is this <laughs> God Rest Ye Merry? Uh, Why Christmas is the Foundation for Everything. God Rest Ye Merry by Douglas Wilson. So we're looking forward to delving into this, uh, this small book for this month. So I think you can get your copy at Canon Press. Should have these. And um, it's a really good book. We, I listened to it last year. Um, once or twice and uh, it's, it's new for Jake, but I think 
we're we're gonna really enjoy this so yeah um yeah so that calendar will be forthcoming very shortly where you can see um what chapters we'll be reading throughout the month of december thank you very much see you next week have a great rest of your weekend have a wonderful lord's day and remember everyone in all that you do do it as unto the lord <laughs> <laughs>